Well, we're turning again to Genesis chapter 8. I think this will be our final message on this Genesis Foundation series. We come to chapter 8. This is the chapter that records what happens after the global flood. God's plan of judgment and at the same time of mercy, undeserved mercy and kindness in the midst of deserved judgment has come to fruition. God is going to start again. He's going to reshape the earth. He's going to destroy everybody that would not come into the ark. They had the opportunity. Grace was extended to them. Mercy and kindness from the hand of God. All they had to do was come. But everybody that refused, and that was only eight souls that came, the death of drowning would fall upon the people. Sometimes we think of the judgment of God as coming suddenly, without warning, and that's not really true. God is gracious and merciful. Judgment doesn't come without warning. That's what we shall see here. We've thought of God's warning, 120 years, he told them, and then the flood would come. There was a second warning, the name of Methuselah, when he shall die, this is what it means, then judgment will come. Just one year later, he died 119 years after the warning, and the 120th year, the rain came. That was the second major warning. But there was a third. I'm recapping because we have visitors today. There was a third warning. Seven days. 120 years? One year? Seven days. And then the flood will come. How merciful is God? Do you know when the Lord will come for the second time in final judgment? Nobody can say, I was never warned. Because what's written in God's word is warning after warning after warning, tenderly telling us, God must punish sin. God cannot let it go. He can't dodge the issue. He's got to deal with it head on, even if it's not straight away. Those outside of the ark, no help, no hope. Just imagine them clambering up the ark and the door is shut. There's no way in to the only way of salvation. Well, I want us to consider this morning really a, a topic that I think is throughout chapter 8, and it fits in very neatly with what we were saying earlier of the patience and long-suffering. We shall see three words all beginning with P in this chapter. Patience, purpose, and priorities. And if you like, they're impregnated throughout the chapter. Patience, 
purpose and priorities. Well, the flood has come, just as God has said. Forty days and nights, a familiar number, won't go into that. Forty days and nights it rains, the earth is covered. This was a global flood, the word of God says so. But you know the evidence in all the rocks, the sedimentary rocks laid down through a flood because you find sedimentary rocks across the world is that this was global. And the third piece of evidence, if you don't believe the word of God, and I do, and I trust you do, and that's sufficient, you look at the fossils. How can you have a tree a hundred foot tall made of wood that rots? When it's buried in water, it rots even quicker. How can you have a tree fossilized? How can you have a huge snail, two foot wide, perfectly fossilized? When I've looked at snails before, they're soft and slimy and sludgy, perfectly preserved, because they were buried in a flood and buried with so much sand and sediment, perfectly preserved. Doesn't that make sense? That's what we see, it's what we read, and it's what we know deep down. This was a global flood. Now let's come to our text. Verse 1. God remembered Noah. Those are lovely words. God remembered Noah. Do you know God remembers everybody by name? The hairs on our head. He remembers everything you've done. He remembers you in your trials and struggles. And God remembers especially people of faith. People that have put their trust. And oh, Noah, what faith, what trust. He had shown 120 years obediently following every single instruction, walking with God, talking with God. Noah, of course, God would remember Noah, wouldn't he? He remembers him. But does he let him out of the ark on day 40? No, we shall see. There are many, many days ahead of Noah after it begins to rain. But God remembered Noah. He remembered his obedience, his faithfulness, and his trust. And he will do the same for us. Is there somebody here this morning and you think, God has forgotten me. He's forgotten to be kind. That can't happen. God never forgets his people. And God never forgets to be kind. Do you know the only thing that God forgets, and the Bible doesn't even use these words, is he remembers our sin no more. Isn't that wonderful? God can't forget because that would mean he was a fallen human being and he's not. God remembers our sin no more. That's a choice. But he doesn't forget anything. That's not a choice. That's an accident. 
So we look and we see that it says in verse 1, God made a wind to pass over the earth. The earth is covered. The mountains are covered. And God causes a breeze, a wind, to bear up humidity within the whole of the air that's surrounding planet earth. And this humidity, the clouds, will carry so much water that the waters will begin to subside. They'll be locked up in ice caps. And there will be lakes and rivers. And there'll be dry land. Just look at how God controls everything. He causes the wind to come over the face of the earth. He causes the fountains of the deep, great geysers pushing the water up and the rain from above it stopped. God's in control of everything. On just the right day, the rain stops. The fountains stop. And it uses a word in verse 2, the rain from heaven was restrained, suppressed. God suppresses evil, even in the day and age that we live in. God suppresses, restrains the evil hand of man. And he also suppressed his judgment. And the rains and the floods and the waters. Verse 3, the waters returned from off the earth continually. And you know that's where lots of the shaping of the earth was done when the waters came up. Yes, that did an awful lot of damage, but there's still lots of power in the water as the gravity takes it down and it cuts great caverns in the sides of the mountains. And as the water's locked up in glaciers, and it's reshaping the earth. And the sediment falls. And the rocks are formed. And we get the beauty of valleys and mountains. Oh Lord, the Lord is in control. The Lord remembers. He controls. He restrains. This is our God. He's in control of everything. Look at my little life. Look at the cares that I'll have on Monday morning. The emails to answer. The letters to open. The visits to do. The cares of the heart. People who need help. This is just my life. What about your life? The worries of home, school, Hospital, God remembered Noah. God controlled the waves and the mountains and the valleys. Can't he control the little things in your life? Can't he order all the times, all the situations, all the circumstances in my little life and your life? And he will provide. And he will care. 
God remembered, no, I could stop, I could tell you just on those words, but we can't this morning. Let me look briefly in the time we have at the timeline, and I want to emphasize this, not just because I love numbers, but because there's a lesson here. Forty days, continuous rain. A hundred and ten days, that's a hundred and fifty altogether. And then the ark rests on Mount Ararat. That's somewhere between Turkey and Iran. It's a volcano. When you go to it today, people have thought they found the ark. We don't know. We don't need to know. It probably would have rotted and decayed. But, some people think, but the Bible says 150 days and the ark settles. That's a long time, isn't it? 150 days, but it's not over. There's another 74 days in verse 5. It tells us that. That takes us, I think, in our maths to 264 days or 214. And then there's another interval. And then we come to the 271st day and a raven goes out. 264 rather, 271, the first dove goes out, nowhere to put the feet of the dove. Second time, day 278, an olive leaf, oh there must be a tree somewhere near the ark, near Mount Ararat, but not enough. And then the dove goes the third time, notice how this happens at seven-day intervals. I'm sure there's a lesson in that. There's something significant about the seventh day. That's when Noah tests, checks, looks for God to guide him, especially. He looked every day, I'm sure. But on the seventh day, the seventh day, it says it again and again. And it comes to day 285. And the dove doesn't come back. The dove has found food and a nest and rest and somewhere to lay its feet. Is that the end? No. 314 days. Noah takes off the roof. He wants to let the light in. He's not worried about the rain anymore. He's a man of faith. It's not going to rain in the way it did again. Is that the end? No. Fifty-six more days. I think I've got the maths right. Day 370. Just over a year. From the day that Noah was called into the ark and the door was shut. 370 days. I mean, that's got lots of implications. How much food would they need? How patient they would need to be with all the animals. How much work to look after them. Noah must have had an inkling because the Lord would have told him more food, more straw, more hay. More things for the animals to eat. Day 370. You know where I'm going. 
patience, patience. Something I struggle with. I'm sure there's others here the same. Patience. The patience of Job, the patience of Noah. Waiting, waiting. He can't open the door himself. It was shut from the outside. He's got to wait for God's time. His times are in his hands. Isn't that true with us? What are you anxious about this morning? What are you worried about? What are you stressed about? Aren't your times in God's hands? Wouldn't you be patient and wait on him? I waited patiently for the Lord. At length to me he did incline my prayer. Psalm 40. Read Psalm 40. It will be like medicine to your soul. Noah, there's not one bit of evidence, not one tiny bit of evidence of impatience. He's not anxious. He doesn't fret. He doesn't fear. He doesn't worry. He doesn't say, I want to get out. He will wait until God says so. And that's what happens. Verse 16. God called him in and God called him out. Do you remember Brian Hanrahan in the Falklands War? This will date me. 1981. A big Harrier jump jet goes out. Because the correspondent couldn't say too much, he said, I counted them all out. And I counted them all in. Well, this is the reverse, isn't it? I counted them all in, and I counted them all out. During the Falklands War, he counted every Harrier jump jet. And Noah, he waits until the Lord says, you can go. So patience, patience. Noah waited. The waiting is over. Second point this morning. Purpose. Let's look at verses 15 and onwards. God spake unto Noah. When God remembers, God speaks. That's God's way. When God remembers you and your situation, and when you're looking to him by faith, God will speak. He'll speak into your situation into your life, into your home, into your anxieties and worries. God spake, especially Noah, because he was so patient. Is God not speaking to you? Maybe you're being impatient. You're demanding to God, don't do that. If you wait patiently on the Lord, God will speak to you. He'll lift you up. He'll come and draw near to you. Don't be like Martha, anxious, burdened for far too many things, for far too long, instead of the thing that needed most, the presence of the Lord. And she was even at his feet. Purpose. Secondly, what will Noah's purpose be? The world has been reshaped. It's vastly different to the way it was before. We don't quite know what it was before. 
But now there will be seven continents. There will be huge mountains and valleys. There will be such variety. Oh, it will be different from before the flood. But it will still be wonderful. But God speaks to Noah. He says three things. Here's the purpose that Noah is to have. And it's the same purpose he gives to us as believers. Look at the parallels. The first. Go forth. It's time to leave the ark, I'm sure. Speaking reverently, Noah was pleased to see the back of it. Oh, not another day, not another hour of having to look after the animals and all that goes with it. Oh, what a sigh of relief. Go forth. Isn't that what the Lord says to us as believers? It's what he said to his disciples Go to the ends of the earth. Go forth. Go. Don't stay in your holy huddle. Don't stick to your families in church. Talk to everybody. Talk to somebody you've never spoken to before. Talk to somebody who's a refugee, whose situation is a thousand times worse than you. Go to the ends of the earth. Take the gospel. Go forth. Secondly, bring forth. Don't go on your own. Take those that God has put under your care, your family, your animals. You'll need them for several purposes. Go forth. Bring forth. Take others with you. There's a saying for those of you who are runners. If you want to go fast, run on your own. If you want to go further, run together. That's what we want to do, isn't it? We don't want to go fast. You'll fall. You'll slip. Sometimes we go too fast, too impatient. We've got to go at the Lord's speed. We've got to go together. We've got to go with others. Bring forth, he says to him, those under your care, Noah. Take your sons, their wives, your wife. Take the animals. Bring forth. Verse 17. That's what he says to us. Bring forth. Thirdly, very rapidly, he says, be fruitful. Go forth. Bring forth. Be fruitful. Noah, I've got such a purpose for you. You're going to be so fruitful numerically. You're going to institute worship for every faithful person. Everybody that believes in God will take your lead. Multiply. Be fruitful. Grow the kingdom. You're going to start with eight in your church. You're to grow it. You're to be faithful. Oh, I can rely on you. You're to be obedient. I can rely on you. You're to be fruitful. Remember the Lord Jesus. What did he do? When he was found as a 13-year-old boy, his parents couldn't find him. What was he preoccupied with? I was about my father's business. 
I was being faithful to my Father. Do kingdom work. Work for the kingdom of heaven. Work for eternity, Noah. Go forth, bring forth, and multiply. Thirdly, this morning, patience, purpose, and then priorities. Verse 20, and Noah. What's his priority? He's been given his purpose. That says, go in this direction. But how does he organize his priorities? That's difficult, isn't it? You wake up, what do I do today? What order do I do it in? I've got the children, I've got my grandfather in a care home, I've got my neighbor who's sick, I've got people at chapel that need my care, I've got people that they have such needs. How do I organize my life? Well, let's look at Noah's seven priorities. Oh, too much to cover. First of all, the first thing is leadership. Oh, it's not worship. You don't get to the place of worship. You don't have a place of worship until you've got leadership. Noah is a leader. He takes the initiative. He places the stones, uncut stones, one on another. He builds. He's a builder. He's a leader. He's a parent. He's a pastor. He puts the stones together and he says to his family, our very first priority is to follow my leadership. Do what I do, not just what I say. Leadership. Do you show that? You may be a woman. Your husband may not lead. That's not right. He should. You may have to lead on his behalf spiritually. You may be a, a parent and you have to lead your children. That's difficult. Noah, no evidence that his children didn't follow his example. Secondly, it's obvious. What did he lead the people to? He led them to worship. His priority is worship. Do you know so often that takes second or third or even fifth priority? Not for Noah. He leads his whole family to worship. Never, never, never Put worship down the pecking order. Yes, sometimes you're sick, I know. Sometimes the ambulance needs to be called, I know. But worship is our priority. Once we've led our home, once we've led ourselves, because we need leading too, we're to go to worship. To go to worship as often as we can daily. We need a family altar. That's what Noah had. A family altar. It was just for the family. We need an altar at home. Not made with hands. We need to worship God and we need to give him thanks. He's been preserved. What was the first aspect of Noah's worship? Salvation. 
Do you think he said anything else? Lord, eight of us rescued from drowning. And you did this. You provided the means, the way. We were just obedient. We just followed. But you've saved us. That would be the very centre of his worship. Christ, salvation, thanksgiving to God. Do you know as leaders and parents, it's not easy, is it, leading people in worship? There's so many distractions. Screens, phones. It's not wrong to read the word of God on a phone. But don't bring them into chapel. Don't let your children use them. A game in the middle of chapel? Surely not. Try to help them to listen. Use the facilities if not. Lead your children in worship. Lead them to reverence almighty God. Lead them to thanksgiving and praise. That's why we say before... A service, we're reverent, we're thoughtful. We want God to speak to us. We've got to prepare our hearts. Take that stubborn, stony heart away. May I be ready to receive God's word to me. And then afterwards, we can speak to one another. Thirdly, he puts up an altar. This is to be a memorial. What are those stones for? is the question that will be asked in future generations. And Noah said, this is the place where we remembered the salvation of God. And we came and we gathered together. Do you know this is the first place mentioned in the Bible for worship. It's a church. A church isn't a building. It's the people gathered together for worship. A memorial. Fourthly, what's going to happen? Thanksgiving, praise, worship. Oh, there's something missing. These eight souls, they carry their sin nature with them. Even from their youth, verse 21. The imaginations, the thoughts, the desires of me and you is only evil continually. Oh, but hasn't God dealt with sin? He has. He's washed the world clean. He's got rid of everybody that wouldn't bow the knee and submit. But they still have a sin nature. And he needs to deal with that. And he does. The fifth, fourth point is sacrifice. God had already made provision. Seven of the clean animals. And now, by faith, it would have taken a lot of faith. Kill an animal? That's our food. That's our lunch. And Noah says, no. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience, and we're called to sacrifice. Let's take the animal. Let's kill the animal. Let's shed the blood. And our new sins, since we've come out of the ark, will be cleansed figuratively by the shedding of blood and the offering of a life 
Many lives offered by Noah. Sacrifice. Fifthly, this is our priority. Noah, he desired that everything he did in his life, everything in his worship, everything within his family would be a sweet-smelling savor, an aroma, an, a, a fragrance to God, rising up. This was the Lord's verdict. He smelled the fragrance of Noah's life, obedience, worship, sacrifice. Everything that he'd done in this new church, the first ever church, is pleasing to God. Sixthly, there needs to be a covenant. They can't just drift. They can't go as they please. There needs to be a promise, a contract, an agreement. And God makes the first post-flood covenant. Here it is in verse 21. I will never again smite the earth. Judgment in the way that it's happened within the flood will never happen in the same way again. There will be judgment, not, but not global judgment. I will never ever kill every living thing as I have done. That's grace, isn't it? We deserve judgment. And God says, never again. One day I'll come again, but judgment will be in another way. This is the covenant. Verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time, harvest, cold, heat, summer, winter, day, night, all the seasons, the patterns, you'll notice the faithfulness of God. And I will keep my covenant. So what's the question? Have you and I kept the covenant that God would have you make with him? He's kept his covenant there's never been another global flood. He's never destroyed the people on the earth again, though he should do because every imagination of the heart is evil continually from his youth. The sin problem still remains. What about your covenant? Have you ever made a covenant with God? Have you ever said, I'm a sinner? And I'm in the hands of an angry God who deserves to punish me. But God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you show mercy to me and forgive me and cleanse me and wash me, my life is given. I surrender, submit. Now I'm not going to live for myself anymore, for pleasure, for parties, for people, for everything that occupies my life from now on. My vow, my pledge, is I'll do my very best to live for Christ. In everything I say and do, in my choices, my priorities, my purpose, I will live for God. Have you done that? That's conversion, isn't it? Conversion is a covenant. It says, from now on, O Jesus, I have promised.
to serve thee to the end. I won't live my life for myself anymore, but for all of life I will live for thee. Seventhly, this comes at the end, so many people's prayers and my own. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Bless this person, bless that person. That's not prayer. Our priorities for life are also our pattern for prayer. The request for blessing comes at the end. And the gift of God comes when we're obedient. The seventh priority of Noah is for God's smile and God's blessing. And that's within the covenant. If we obey, if we surrender, God will keep his part of the covenant and he has. And if I keep mine, he will bless me and help me in my life. Patience, priorities, purpose. This is our message this morning. Patience in the Christian life. Noah is an example. Christ is our supreme example. Purpose in the Christian life. Go forth, bring forth, multiply. Priorities. In the Christian life, seven aspects of our life and of our prayer. Let's follow them. Surely then we'll know the blessing of Almighty God. Let's close our worship this morning. Six hundred.